everyone. Welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion Podcast. This is Jenny and Barry talking. And this week we're talking with Representative John Waldron. We're venting, and those not of you talking. Who don't know, excuse me, Barry. We're venting, not talking. Venting. Barry, Barry's always venting. Barry, Barry rarely talks. It's all <laughs> Maybe kvetching. Kvetching. <laughs> but Barry's a local comedian mm-hmm. and uh, uh, author, and he can be found at freedmanoftheplains.com. And Representative Waldron is a one of our best history teachers Oklahoma's had. He's was Teacher of the Year in Tulsa, but also the Oklahoma Foundation for Excellence awarded him a medal. He, I think you founded Booker T. Washington's Model UN. He had experience of over 20 years teaching history, advanced history, medieval history, U.S. history, you name it. So he is the expert here. And we wanted to talk this week about House Bill 1775. And we'll just like, it's a I mean, I'll just say it, it's a dumb law, but we are dealing with it. And Barry and I had questions about it, but if you don't mind starting, Representative Waldron, um, explaining what it is, because I think people think they know what it is. Mm-hmm. It's referred to as a CRT law, but I mean, what does it actually say? So House Bill 1775 has some pretty clear prescribed language about what teachers are not supposed to teach. They're not supposed to teach anything that would uh, teach that students should feel guilty because of their race or that they bear responsibility for injustices of the past. It's actually written in the form of a few very clear formulas that if you avoid, then you're not in violation of 1775. So written as it is written, it tells teachers not to do a few things. It's kind of like those seven deadly words you're not supposed to say on TV. However, maybe I'll just pause with that, however, and see if you have a follow-up question. Well, okay, isn't the fact that it's vague the point that if you chill teachers into thinking, can I say this, can I say that, maybe I just won't say anything, and isn't that really the point of 1775? The less specific it is, the more effective the authors of the bill wanted it to be. Since this is a podcast, I'll mention that I was tapping my nose as he spoke. Um, Yes, exactamundo, that's the point. Um, During the debate, uh, CRT was mentioned, which stands for critical race theory. Critical race theory, of course, is a a theory that's taught in certain law school classrooms to talk about the effects of institutionalized race in American power structures, which has a relevant legal uh, application. I've never studied CRT, I've never taught CRT, and CRT is not written into the legislation, but it was all over the debate uh, because people said they had heard that CRT was being taught. When pressed for examples, they said, well, there was this training at OSU this one time. Strangely, the law does not apply to our undergraduate or postgraduate programs, only to K-12. And during the entire debate, there was never an example of CRT brought forward. There was a lot of language about students being made to feel guilty, air quotes, uh, and how we ought not to be doing that. And that brings us into the problematic nature of the bill. The bill is designed to regulate feelings. Whoa, 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 feelings. And how are we going to do that? How are we going to regulate what's going on inside a kid's head? We aren't. That means the vagueness and ambiguity of the law allows policymakers to make whatever they want out of it, and they have. 
I've got a general question and a specific one. Okay. General question is, isn't the teaching of history or isn't history supposed to make you feel uncomfortable? That's yes. the general question. Yeah. And the specific one is, you know your colleagues, what motivates them? Do they want the end of public education? Because it seems to me, if enough teachers quit, if enough administrators are bumfuzzled, if enough districts sink from the weight of truly onerous and incomprehensible regulations, the system falls apart and students and parents leave. Isn't that the goal or is that too cynical? Um, Let's well, take the first one. Sure. Is history supposed to make you feel uncomfortable? Is, is teaching history well supposed to do that? If history was not supposed to make people feel uncomfortable, the book would be called Folks of the Flower Moon. Um, yeah, history is the story of what happened, human nature being what it was, there's gonna be a lot of light and a lot of darkness. If all you talk about are the good things, you're not gonna understand how we got where we are. Now, is the, is the intention of the bill to destroy public education? It sure acts that way um, because it has a chilling effect on teachers. Um, uh, irresponsible uh, officials have used it to question the, to put asterisks on the accreditation of two school districts pretty, in a pretty arbitrary fashion. Uh, and um, it all at a time of an historic teacher shortage. So now we're asking teachers who are teaching under unimaginably difficult conditions, hardest teaching conditions in a generation. We're gonna ask them to do that while looking over their shoulder all the time, wondering if they're ever gonna get a 1775 complaint. Yeah. Going back to your original point. Yes. 1775 was never about teacher training protocols. No. So what okay. teachers feel like was being told to them at these training seminars is outside of 1775. Exactly, but somehow it's gotten inside 1775 because the complaint we heard from uh, about TPS came from a very controversial teacher uh, complaining about a professional development she received. But it shows how vague that law is and how it can be applied so capriciously. I mean, it's, yeah. it's um, but, but, kind of going back to the idea of, of his, teaching history because mm -hmm. you know you've done this for more than 20 years you've taught you actually i think taught holocaust education before it was mandated and now mm -hmm. and thank you for getting mm -hmm. that uh to be part of the curriculum i would say we encouraged it not rather than mandated what teachers you have to do encourage it but but how i mean okay it, my first question is have you ever actually had a student feel really guilty about their race because of history they find out? Has that actually ever occurred? No, not really. I mean, if you present uh, students with the facts, I mean, a teenager's not gonna feel guilty about something that happened 30 years ago because that's ancient history for them. Right. They won't feel a personal responsibility. But I will say that after the 2016 election, we did start to have sharper conversations because the um, political space in which we could talk about things in an honest way narrowed. Um, something shifted in our culture, which allowed people permission to say a lot of awful things and feel like that should be protected speech. But anything a teacher says, now you start to see why less students than teachers, but you're starting to see people feel like they have permission to vent their ugliest thoughts 
and to claim that they're being persecuted, which is ironic uh, when you consider who's making the complaints and what they're complaining about. When really it's a consequence of speech, that yeah. what, the, what the pushback they're feeling is a consequence, not persecution. Right. But it does bring up, like with the Holocaust, education. Mm. I mean, I'm wondering as a history teacher, what can you teach? I mean, yeah. you know, when you look at 1775 and that chilling effect that Barry mentioned, I, in order to make history relevant, it seems, I'm not yeah. a history teacher, but you would somehow, for some kids, you bring it to the present. Mm -hmm. So I could see a question like, what kind of propaganda do you see in America today? Mm. What types of, you know, can you even do that? I mean, that's yeah. what I'm wondering. Could you even make that assignment today? Well, I, on the face of it, yes, um, you can blame the Nazis. And so you've got these natural bad guys. We love to have bad guys in Oklahoma, especially foreign bad guys. So you could do that lesson and nobody would bat an eye until the students started to think about it and talk about it. Now, every well, you year, you could say the Proud Boys. Yeah. There's probably Proud Boys in Oklahoma. Mm hmm. Yeah. I can, uh, you can, can I just, going. and I want to just read you something. Yes, go ahead. Adam Pugh, you probably mm -hmm. know. He was the author of the Holocaust Education Bill. Here's what he said about the bill. Mm. As the largest recorded act of genocide in history, the Holocaust provides a tragic example of the destructiveness of hate in our world. Democracy is precarious, and as a society, regardless of where we live in the world, our religion, our beliefs, we must always be open-minded and strive to understand our fellow man and appreciate and respect our shared dignity. Yeah. I'm grateful the Senate support that our students will learn about the Holocaust. Yes. What do we notice? What does he not say? What word is not mentioned? Jews, mm -hmm. Germans, mm -hmm. Christians, mm -hmm. no mention of the Pope. Nope. So how do you teach the Holocaust mm. and not hurt some students' feelings who's German and whose parents are German? Right. And again, one level deeper, the, the Nazis were a lot of things, but atheists were not one of them. They mm. were all Christians. They all thought of themselves as Christians. Mm. Might not like their Christianity, but they thought they were Christians. Do you bring that up? And what happens if a teacher says to a class, factual, most Nazis consider themselves German. Most yeah. consider themselves Ger Germans consider themselves Christians. What do we do with that, John? Yeah, that's it. You're gonna, the difficulty comes after you finish presenting your lesson, however carefully constructed, and once the students start to ask questions like that, now you're in real trouble because any student who feels offended or guilty suddenly has the basis for a 1775 complaint. So as a teacher, I might back away altogether. Uh, and I'll note that there are teachers right now who are pulling books like Killers of the Flower Moon out of their curriculum and who are being very careful about teaching subjects. That's why we introduced Holocaust education because we, I think teachers needed a signal that there are subjects we can still teach, that they should still be having those critical conversations. They've got to show a little courage to do it. But Barry, your point is well taken. Uh, it can get people into a lot of trouble. The Sherwin Miller Museum does a, a um, Sophie Scholl White Rose essay contest annually where they ask people to talk about the Holocaust and relate it to things that are going on today. And I read the essays this year. Kids talked about bullying. Kids talked about uh, transgender issues. Kids talked about um, uh, feeling discriminated against in school. 
And they're, the kids, they, look, they see the world around them. They know it's not fair. They're going to take examples of the past to try to understand the world they live in. And their conversations will be controversial. Some kids may disagree with each other. The bill, as it's, been, as it's playing out, allows those kids, or more likely, frankly, their parents, to take the issue up uh, as a bludgeon against the entire school district. Do, do, um, do teachers now feel comfortable to say, for instance, Germans did this to Jews, Blacks did this to whites, full stop? No, no, I don't think so. I think they would feel very uncomfortable talking about that in their classrooms. Who owned the slaves? Mm. Is, yeah. or, is whites the right answer there? Mm. No, you'll get lots of people mentioned correctly that Indian tribes uh, brought slaves with them, the Cherokee freedmen, Creek freedmen, for example. And then that opens the door to a lot of whataboutism. And uh, that will lead you down some dangerous paths too. So are teachers and, just gonna shut down? I think a lot of them are, yeah. Um, I would say to any teachers who are listening that you can still have courageous conversations with your students. You just have to prepare them first. You got to teach them trust. But of course, now we're wandering into the dangerous territory of social emotional learning. And I think we're about to ban that as well. But you see, that's kind of the point. We want to break down the capacity. I, I should be redefine this carefully. There is an impulse to break down patterns of trust between people's groups organizations, what we might call civil society, to break us down into these competing and opposing groups, different you know, factions. Breaking down civil society is one of the things you want to do if you want to institute authoritarianism uh, in a country. Which is and, something you can't say in a classroom right now, can you? I could have said 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you could have made that statement. 10 years ago, I did. Anywhere in the country, or since anywhere in the country, you could make that statement in a number of states right now, except not here. Yeah, even if you have that trust, even yeah. if you have that trust, one student goes home and tells his parent, right? Yeah. I mean, going back to religion and education, which I think is a is a is a corollary issue. If I were to, if I were a teacher and I were to say to my student uh, around Christmas time, not only uh, are there religions, are there people, neighbors of yours who do not think Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, many people don't even think Jesus existed. Doesn't show up in the Jewish Bible, for instance. Sure. If that student goes home and says to his or her parent, our teacher told us Jesus doesn't exist. And that parent came in and tried to get me fired. I would argue that that parent should get me fired. Because hmm. it doesn't belong in yeah. education. It does not belong in public education. Right. But this, however, does. There are facts whites had black slaves germans germans killed jews nazi mm. was a party they joined the nazi party yep. 13 million germans voted for hitler germans voted for hitler they weren't nazis when they voted for hitler they were germans yeah what do you do with them well uh, in the say that again where's the controversy in yeah. 13 million germans voted for hitler yeah, you would think that the facts speak for themselves, but we do live in an age of alternative facts now, don't we? In the old days, you would teach a controversial lesson. Maybe a, parent, a kid brings that home to a parent, and maybe the parent raises a complaint. Complaint goes to the administration, the administration sits the teacher and the parents down, and they work out a settlement and you move on. 
Um, but what 1775 does is it empowers the complainer. These days are often, you know, some of our most controversial teachers. Uh, it goes to the district, but then from the district, it can go to the State Board of Education where the governor's appointees can impose real penalties on the district. So districts are going to, they're going to do what they do, which is protect themselves. And if that means at the expense of the teacher, that's bad news for the teacher. And this, again, at a time in a when we have a critical shortage of professional educators in the system. In, in your 20 years, or more than 20 years, did you ever have a parent come to you and say, hey, I, I didn't like the way this was handled, or my, my kid is telling me something from your classroom that, that bothers me? Yeah, occasionally. I think. Yeah, how, how did you handle that? Well, have a conversation. Listen to the parent. Uh, talk to them, listen, uh, consider it yourself. Uh, I think I had like an annual apology day when I had to apologize for something I said uh, in class, um, own it, um, be, have a conversation. See that builds civil society. But what we're doing now is empowering a snitch culture that can go to outside authorities like the State Board of Education, which maybe is staffed by people who don't have public education's best interests in mind. And they're gonna use those complaints to sledgehammer open uh, the school system like it was a giant piggy bank. What are they gonna do with all the money that's been going into our public education budgets? Vouchers. They're gonna send them out to privatization interests. And if you think Epic was bad, wait till you see what happens when we pour hundreds of millions of dollars into private schools, some of which are gonna spring up overnight in reaction to the creation of a bill. And there's gonna be no oversight, no transparency, no accountability. There are private schools in my district that will expel seven-year-olds for uh, parent uh, gay tendencies. And there's nothing that stops them from doing that. What's gonna happen in the future is they're gonna do that while they're taking taxpayer dollars. That does not seem right to me. John, you can, you can fit all the Democrats in the Oklahoma House and Senate in a, in a large minivan. Mm, yeah. Well. We have a problem, I think, generally with, with expertise, that wonderful meme about don't let your Google search get in the way of my 12 years of medical school. <laughs> yes. You taught for how many years? 20 years in Tulsa and five years on the East Coast. When you bring that expertise that experience to your legislators, to your colleagues, and say to them, I was in the classroom. This is not going to work. This is going to do the absolute worst thing for education, public education. What do they say to you? Or do they even listen to you? They don't have to because you're there's there's six there's six of you in a car. They don't have to listen to Democrats, super majorities. They really don't have to listen to you at all. Yeah, that's a true conversation won't affect them. But what do they what did they say to you when you said to them, this is nuts. Good question. First of all, there are educators on both sides of the aisle. Uh, there's a lot of good uh, pro-public education Republicans in the House and the Senate, and they fight on behalf of their schools. The thing about them is they don't carry this legislation. On the House floor, the uh, bill was carried by a man who makes cabinets for a living. Uh, and that's the problem. Supermajorities, they don't have to listen, not even, they don't have to listen to the Democrats, but they also don't have to listen to the pro-education wing of their own party uh, when they run legislation like this forward. So yeah, your expertise doesn't matter. And neither does uh, do my Republican educator colleagues. Their expertise doesn't matter. They all knew CRT wasn't being taught in the classroom, but it was either uh, put up or shut up. Uh, and uh, that is the problem with supermajority government. Being Republican number 82 on the, in the House does not give you a lot of clout. 
It concentrates a lot of power in leadership and in the special interest money behind them. But those, those 82 Republicans who don't have any power, they won't break away from the mothership, will they? Not so far. How onerous the legislations are, they will not break away because they like the power, they like the chairmanships, they like the, the, the big offices. The most important thing about a pendulum though, Barry, is that it swings back. And we saw something interesting this year, uh, last session uh, when the abortion bill was debated, most restrictive abortion bill in the country. A Republican legislator stood up and spoke against it in debate, something I'd never seen before. And Republicans, only a couple, voted against it. But I think that was the first crack in the supermajority. The Republican uh, supermajority in the legislature is the dog that's caught the car. They got everything they wanted on guns. They got everything they wanted on abortion. They're about to bust open public schools. And a bunch of Republicans who live in small towns that don't have access to private schools are going to see how bad that is for them. So I think we have to keep talking about this issue. We have to keep reminding people uh, that there are people acting not in their best interest and, and running the legislature right now. And I think eventually the pendulum starts to swing back. That's what his, teaching history taught me anyway. One yeah. of the things I noticed is that his, particularly history education came under attack, which oh, yeah. I did not, I honestly didn't see coming. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I knew public schools were always being attacked, but where is this from the going after particularly, I mean, this is on you. Mm. I mean, you're, yeah. you're, this was something you dedicate your life to. Yeah. When they're coming at you like that, why? I mean, are they just not comfortable with their own family's history and they're trying to rewrite it? What, well, what, why did that get passed is what I'm trying to figure out. Well, let's just imagine that you're a banker whose grandfather got on the Cherokee rolls somehow. Um, there's a lot of people in Oklahoma with histories that go back to their skeletons in their closets and we really don't wanna talk about it. I put up a thing on Twitter today about how the grandchildren of grifters wanna stop teachers from teaching about the grift. Yeah, that's a very real uh, issue. Um, and there are private schools that are still holding, you know, land run days and talking about the pioneers as if Native American tribes never existed in Oklahoma. Um, if, we, if all we see uh, of ourselves, if history began with the Sooners, then Oklahoma doesn't make any sense. So history teachers are on the chopping block now because they do know that Oklahoma history goes back before that. The irony is, think about who's teaching history in our schools. There's a, a lot of those history teachers are also your football coach, your baseball coach, your basketball coach, and somehow these pinko commies are there indoctrinating your kids. That doesn't make any sense. No. But that's but what they've kind of thought, to You know, you mentioned the small towns and how they're, some of these rural areas are, are now getting it because the, and I grew up in a small town and the, the school is the identity. I mean, without, you yeah. know, everyone, Friday night lights is a real deal. You don't have yeah. to have kids in school and that stadium's packed. But a lot of the teachers grew up in those towns. Yep. And so like a lot of my class, they're now teaching at the school I graduated from. And so when you hear these talking points of indoctrination and how all, I'm like, how that can't be going over in rural areas because I know that I knew, I knew yeah. her when she was five years old. I mean, these yeah. are not, you know, unknown people in these small towns. And I just don't know. I think that's, that's where it's not going to go over well, I would right. think. And that's where you get your support yeah. for some of the, to protect some of these things. But, right. but with House Bill 1775, going back to that, do you remember 
I mean, was there a flashpoint that led to that? Was it something that just kind of sneakily went through or was it, how did this come if there up? Was, if there was a flashpoint, it seemed to happen simultaneously all around the country, wherever Republican majorities were in the legislature. There was vague reference by a gentleman from Hugo that there had been something said at a mandatory training for professors at OSU, or maybe it was students, I don't even know, he didn't give any specifics, that was the basis for it. But it was like the time Joe McCarthy got in front of the uh, ladies backgammon club in Wheeling, West Virginia, and said, there are 57 communists in the State Department. There weren't 57 communists in the State Department, he, he made the number up. But it became, uh, it tapped into a people's suspicion, fear, and paranoia and became a political force. Okay, is it, is the motivation then fear? Is it racism? Is it we are losing our America, which is racism? I mean, what drives them? Because again, even you talked about the, the dog that caught the car. They have everything they want on all these pieces of legislation. And they took away the victories from the left that the left didn't really celebrate because we didn't know we had them. Hmm. So now that they have everything they want, what do they have? What is it they now have that they didn't have before? They literally, and you're right, they couldn't, they couldn't, they wouldn't notice critical race theory if it, if it fell on the, on the floor of the Capitol. They wouldn't yeah. know what it was. Right. So what do they have now that they feel better about that they didn't have when the liberals ran things? Yeah, I mean, when did liberals ever run Oklahoma? I mean, at best, we had conservative Democrats running the state. Right. I mean, what we have now is a bunch of politicians who want to win elections. And they've run out of, they've won on all their issues. I mean, what uh, gun bills are left to run? Um, they've, we've got the most restrictive abortion uh, law in the country. So uh, what we have to do is inspire people to vote on the basis of fear, on the feeling that, they're, that our position is somehow slipping. All the things that you mentioned, plus greed. Because remember, the big issue here is whether we're gonna carve open the public education budget, which is just about the largest segment of state appropriations, uh, of appropriated spending, um, and use it to uh, support private interests. Now, the uh, lobbyists for the uh, voucher movement, the private schools, um, has they've been active in the halls of power for a long time. They came very close to a victory in the Senate last year, and they were involved in elections in the Senate that will probably give them a pro-voucher majority this year, which means the battle comes to the House. And when they, uh, and those legislators, uh, even rural legislators who want to protect their schools, they're being told that if they say no to vouchers, they're going to face a strong primary challenge next year, uh, and uh, that the lobbyists are going to appeal to voters on the basis of fear, suspicion, and a sense that somehow their public schools are taking away the things that are great about America. They're going to build that myth for their own private profit. And do you know where this attack on history came from? Like, do you like going back to that? History teachers have been targeted as as the indoctrinators, whatever. As if private schools aren't indoctrinating with their yeah. own right. faith and right. their view or whatever. Right. But I mean, when you look at it, where is where did that come from? Where did that originate? That yeah. that approach that that attack. Well, I think there is a lot of general dissatisfaction. There always has been. Uh, in Tulsa, we've had, um, we've had groups that have been critical about the way TPS has been run. The pandemic deepened uh, people's concerns. 
ironically, the, the lockdown showed us how important our public schools were, but they also energized a lot of people who were critical of our public schools. Um, and then I think, frankly, the GOP found these groups and started bankrolling them, uh, giving them a lot more, um, you know, prestige and reach. Um, so they kind of took these groups and astroturfed them into a movement, which has, as you can see, disrupted our uh, public school board, the TPS school board uh, in recent times. And that's because the GOP knows that they've got an issue that will appeal to primary voters the ones that they need to win elections, not the majority of Oklahomans. Most of Oklahomans believe in their teachers, uh, uh, value their schools, as you've said. But you can get, uh, you can win a lot of uh, primary victories with a very small minority of the voters by appealing to their fear and uh, their suspicion of public institutions. That's well, they why we come Tulsa. And, and, yeah. and I think that that's the, and I, and I think the reason is, if you're not from Tulsa, it's the big scary city where all the liberals right. Even though Tulsa is right. not liberal, no, um, it's it's, and I've heard people from small towns go, "Oh, we don't want to be like Tulsa," and I'm like, you know, our schools are pretty small compared to yeah. this. I mean, yeah. you know, when you don't know it, it becomes easy to demonize it. Exactly, and I think that's playing into that narrative. And I hear lawmakers from outside Tulsa repeating those same talking points. Yeah, and it's like TPS. Uh, I mean, my husband teaches in Broken Arrow. Mm -hmm. They have problems too. You know, oh, yeah. every district is, has their own set of problems, but it's almost like, well, at least we're not TPS. And I think that that's a really unfair characterization right. of what, I mean, I have kids in TPS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. has, you know, is familiar with it. So, you John, know. Uh, do, do you think the, the, uh, the majority of those who are in favor of these uh, regulations and bills, are they... Are they are they cowards or are they collaborators? Do they do they really feel that a liberal education, you know, whites held blacks as slaves, and mm -hmm. Germans killed Jews, and you know we we redlined districts so we could marginalize African American black communities? Are they really afraid of the being primaried, or do they actually agree that? we need to have a Christian-based educational system and society. I mean, going back to the business about cracking open the piggy bank, it does seem odd that what they want to do is starve the beast and then complain the beast is lethargic. Right. Yeah. But what do you think the motivation is? In other words, you talk about these small legislators who really are opposed to privatization and charter schools because they're going to lose money. Will that eventually be enough for them to rise up and say, no, we are leaving a party that promotes that? Or are they going to say, well, we agree with them on abortion and guns and school prayer, so we'll let them have this? I think we have to have a debate about the meaning of the word eventually. But I will tell you that about 45% of the legislators in the House and Senate are or were Democrats. And that if you were to also consider that there are districts that are becoming purple in places like Tulsa and the suburbs, it could be flipped. Um, and there's a natural coalition between public school teacher, uh, public school legislators in small towns with the cities. It is possible to foresee a new electoral map that's closer to 50-50 uh, and probably more responsive to general election voters and um, works better. You can see a roadmap forward um, uh, if we take away hot button issues like abortion and straight party ticket voting, 
Um, and you can see that also in the way that we vote on ballot initiatives, Medicaid expansion, criminal justice reform, uh, alcohol modernization, those all happened in referenda and oh yeah, medical marijuana. Um, and people, when you take away the distractions of party and you know, hot button social issues and dark money mailings, people tend to vote their own interests. So I think we could find a legislature that's less a supermajority dependent by, uh, held by the, uh, by the whip handle by, by primary voters into a legislature that's more responsive to most Oklahomans. Um, it's just gonna take a long time to build that, that center coalition out of what we've got right now. What does the left not do in this state, the, the, the 11 of us that there are? Yeah. What do we not do that we should do. We don't talk to that coalition. We don't talk to rural voters. Uh, we don't represent their interests. But things like you know hunting rights, um, your public schools, uh, your hospitals, your healthcare systems, infrastructure, jobs. These are all statewide issues that urban legislators should be talking about. I'm doing an interim study on criminal justice reform. One of the things I want to bring up is that rural Oklahoma has far less access to diversion programs. They got to send people to prison because they don't have, you know, uh, sufficient drug courts or, or things like women in recovery uh, to put people. So they have to go to prison. And that's not good for rural Oklahoma. We should be talking about things that matter in rural Oklahoma uh, and not just surrendering the field to the people who all they want to talk about is, uh, you know, God's guns and gays. But, you know, going back to, to 1775 and what that does to the quality of education, which I think does, would be something rural lawmakers care about, because if you're sending your kids into a world that's more diversified than at any other point in our nation's history, and yet we haven't taught them the history of civil rights, that the Trail of Tears and those issues have a, a big issue, you know, uh, today, you can't understand McGirt and the Indian Child Welfare Act without understanding the, the Trail of Tears. But, and without that kind of history, without that sort of, you know, deep dive, you're sending kids in, into colleges or career techs or just the business world in, with people that they won't understand and that they'll be yeah. behind, you know, it, why would we want to have laws on the book that water down and make our curriculum and our graduates weaker? when we should be preparing them better for diverse, even if you're in a, a, a white, a largely white small town, those kids are gonna not be in a world that's gonna be largely white. And so I don't, how do you get that to your colleagues? Mm. This isn't good for your schools. Well, I think that's the Panasonic experience demonstrated to us that we have to choose between the past and the future. And right now the GOP is betting on preserving the past uh, like a museum without dis disturbance. But I taught at Booker T. Washington, go Hornets, a school that brought white kids from private schools in South Tulsa into classrooms with black kids from North Tulsa. And they had to learn from each other. They had to rub elbows and experience each other's uh, things. Sometimes they had conflicts and sharp arguments and that was good for the white kids and the black kids and the Hispanic kids and the Indian kids and all the kids that were coming together, they got to learn more about what America looked like. But then all too often they went to OU or OSU and found that their college experience was less diverse than their high school experience. We still let people uh, sequester themselves in, in images of America that don't actually look like America. And that's unfortunate.
if we want to draw in companies like Panasonic, we have to be able to create a place that uh, workers want to live in. The representative from the county uh, that where the plant was going to be said, we don't want them bringing their liberal workers to, uh, to Oklahoma. And Panasonic, you know, probably for a lot of other reasons too, but they decided that Oklahoma wasn't quite ready for prime time uh, when they saw what we were getting up to in our legislature. We've got to either choose between moving forward with the rest of the world or, you know, living in, you know, some kind of black and white version of America circa 1953. There's a sense I get that there was a, a, a feeling among conservatives that we're all welcome. We're all mm. Americans, mm. Uh, but this is a Christian country. You're welcome here. Just stay off the good furniture. Mm. So we don't want to say you cannot yeah. practice your religion, but don't give us a hard time if we want to put a cross at a fire station. Right. So yeah. the notion that there are people here who are guests, welcome guests, but let's remember that this is a Christian white nation and we accept everybody. Not that uh, the atheist has as much right to the yeah. American experience, infrastructure, governance as a white Christian in South Tulsa. I seem to remember that we had a treaty that promised uh, the Indian territory to the tribes as long as the river shall run. They're still running. And I would ask those people why Americans are not merely extensions of European his, uh, culture. Why aren't we Europeans? We're very different from Europe. And we're really different from Europe because we had encounters with India, Indian nations, with African slaves, with immigrants. It's the mixing that makes us Americans. And to pretend that we're somehow some pristine schmigadoon style uh, society uh, will not prepare our kids for the future or help them to understand the world they live in uh, at all. Uh, and unfortunately, our, the power center in Oklahoma City seems to want to try to force the hand of history. It doesn't work that way, and future generations are not going to look kindly on what we've done. And I grew up on the East Coast, and all the first, no, generation, all the first generation Americans, they came over, and they spoke German and Polish, mm -hmm. and they told their children, you learn English, but those kids know how to speak Polish and German as well. And what we're finding now is a lot of Latin American countries. The same thing. They speak yeah. Spanish at home. Yeah. They are told, they are encouraged to, to become American and to learn English as well. This notion that we all came from where we came from, our generous, and immediately gave up all vestiges of, of what we what we were born into is just false. Right. Of course, and, I think you grew up in the other is nothing new in America either. You grew up in New York, I think, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. And I grew up in New Jersey. Hope we can still be friends. Um, but I have to ask you what exit because you <laughs> okay, man. So um, we grew up in immigrant cultures, melting pot America, um, and the sooner myth, the idea that this culture came into a pristine land and made a, a paradise out of it, is kind of at odds with the melting pot notion. But in the, on the East Coast, uh, different communities li lived side by side. We learned not to immediately ask people what church they went to, but we learned to respect each other's differences and learn and grow from them. I'm an Irish American and growing up in New Jersey, I'll tell you that my native dish is lasagna. And that's a good thing. Um, but Oklahoma is different and we've got to respect that it's different, but it's also part of a larger world. And um, the power, if you look at who's, who we elect, 
It's overwhelmingly male. It's overwhelmingly uh, uh, white. Uh, it's, it's more evangelical and it's older than the population of Oklahoma. So ironically, our representatives aren't demographically representative of the people of Oklahoma. The biggest problem I would say is uh, that we represent um, an older generation and we're making laws to affect future generations. Right. And one of the things that I I was kind of disturbed about, I saw that you saw this story too in the Oklahoman, that there are teachers right now actively pulling books, uh, a math teacher who had, and I, I thought it was a genius idea, which is to look at disparities, which is something I do in my job all the time. You know, what is the mm -hmm. black, you know, homeownership rate versus white, Latino mm -hmm. and others. And she's eliminating all that because we don't want to look at race. But yeah. so much of our world, race is a factor. And so- right. What would you say to teachers who are now not going to teach Killers of the Flower Moon, even though we got a major motion picture coming out in January on it, sure. who, are, who are doing all these things? I mean, what advice are you telling them? In light well, of well, let me just ask, or yeah. don't, or going to mention the difference in Black home ownership versus white home ownership, which yeah. is a factual... Right. I mean, those are yeah. all things. I mean, this was a math teacher who was using that to sort of look at statistics, but she said, I'm not going to do that anymore because we can't talk about race. So therefore, we're not gonna teach kids that these disparities even exist. All right, well, I'll tell you a story. The Irish have this hedge master tradition. So back in the days of the penal laws, the English uh, forbade the teaching of Irish and Irish culture, and they imposed all these absentee landlords with ma uh, managers who would ride up and down the lanes inspecting the properties. And as they rode down the lane, they'd find an old Irish hedge master trimming the hedge, and the hedge master would tip his hat to the, uh, the manager, and the manager would tip his hat and ride on. What the landlord didn't see was all the Irish children hiding under the hedge. And after he rode away, the hedge master would put his shears down and go back to teaching the Irish uh, to the kids. You're the hedge master you got to be ready to teach the kids to give them what they need and they need the truth and you have to be prepared to give it to them and this is going to blow over it always does nobody remembers joe mccarthy anymore except the history teachers <laughs> and uh the legislators are not going to be in your classroom all the time they're going to win a few elections on this and then they're going to move on to the next thing they're scared of which my money says is going to be chinese weed farmers and then you can go back to your business <laughs> and do the things that uh, you do. Because you didn't get into teaching for uh, the respect of politicians. You got into teaching because you wanted to help shape the future. You can still do that and you still should. Okay, Barry, you get, a, say, you get one more question. We're about out of time. So you get one I more question, say, I get one more question. A comment that we have a, a, an Oklahoma Democrat, Democratic representative and an optimist. We should just end <laughs> on that point. Because there are just few of us, and uh, thank you for that. That's what I would say. I, I did have one one question to kind of, kind of end this, which is, what do we do about it? Because I, I think a lot of people, conservatives and and progressives, are not liking this particular bill. Do we just advocate for our representatives to repeal it completely, if that's even possible? Is there a fix to this? I mean, what do we do? To get this thing, we got to not, this not to be the problem. It is. We got to burn this bill down. There is a, a lawsuit against it now, and the state board of education's recent action, which was clearly arbitrary, 
uh, and exceeded the recommended punishment and exceeded the language of the bill demonstrates that the bill is on its face unconstitutional. So we'll get it struck down. The Republicans will probably win some elections off of it, I'm afraid. Um, but we ought not to remember what they tried to do to public education. Uh, we ought to remember that in well on the 23rd and in November on the 8th, um, because uh, they're taking sledgehammers to our heritage. Uh, they think they're preserving heritage. They're doing the opposite. They're taking a sledgehammer to the truth. Um, so uh, keep on, keep calm and teach on, remember and respond. Well, thank you. Any last words? Uh, I appreciate the time. I do too. Thanks for the rhyme at the end. I appreciate that. And I'll just leave by saying those who forget their history have to take my class all over again. <laughs> I would love to take your class. So. Thank you very much. It was thank a real you. honor to come appreciate on your show. Thank you all very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.